microphone check one two what is this what's going on people it's the mean 16 podcast episode four it's your boy Dwayne, aka d-dub so you already know what it is uh, we have a really special guest this week i feel like every week i got someone special um but this dude is super dope um dj from the west coast hey, hey. yeah yeah he goes by the name of dj artistic i'm gonna let you tell you tell him um tell us what his name means but for me when i heard artistic and actually i got to hear him get busy i feel his name means that he paints pictures when he djs that's just my interpretation he hasn't told me anything yet. i'm being straight up so um but i usually start the question off with is um have you ever like collected baseball cards football cards anything like that i used to always collect the mainly basketball and mm-hmm. football and a couple baseball. I still got them in my back room right now. <laughs> dope. About thousands just sitting there. Yeah. Oh, dope. So this makes it easy for to, for the explanation. So yeah. if there was a DJ card, right? And you yeah. know, like on the back of the, the the cards, they have your stats. They have um, you know, what teams you play for. Yeah. What would the yeah. back of DJ Artistics card look like? And also the explanation of what your name means would would be dope. That's a good question. Um, so for the name part, I mean, as far as me illustrating pictures, that actually makes sense. I mean, for me, it was like initially I was a producer. So oh word, and I was rapping. That was back in like really. I started that like twenty. What was it? Twenty five years ago, probably ninety four. I was rapping and making beats. Ninety five. Wow. Yeah. So I was still elementary, middle school doing that. But um, uh-huh. it's where I had like five different rap names, and then. <laughs> I with the name artistic like i didn't put the dj on it until like 07 08 but it was mm. the whole time from like 99 up and it was just like it was kind of a play on my on my actual real name uh, being being ron turner so the rt kind of fl- uh, flows that right so that was part of it. and then as far as just me me being creative period when it came to producing it like me being an artist with that so that's, that's what i got dope. that from as far as me illustrating pictures of my DJ, I mean, that's kind of, that, that goes right along with it, so. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. As soon as I, I, I thought about it, I was like, damn, because a little background, I, I met Autistic um, on, through a wedding uh, for a friend, a mutual friend, and um, of my wife's friend, uh, Tiffany, out in Columbia. And, you know, he was DJing a wedding party. And when I tell you, from the time we stepped in that place, so until we left, we had to be forced out. Actually, yeah, you know, he he had it rocking, man. Yeah. And um, if you get to to experience one of his parties, man, it, it is a supreme treat. I guarantee you. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. That was a classic night. We went to what three? Yeah, like three three or four in the morning. Yeah. And we we want to leave. We still are there. Like yo, we we got like another hour or so. Yeah, yeah, we still trying to keep it going. So it was one of those type of nights. But yeah, man, it was. Good time. It was everybody there was on point so yeah yeah it was a great time and it was a really good time um so yeah you know the show was really about hip-hop and 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 how it changed your life or how it affected your life in a a positive way and the interesting tidbit is that um from you that i just got that you used to rap so talk to me about that transition like how did how did you get into rap first off um two-part question and then how did you transition into djing I would say, um, so it was what, fourth, fourth grade, probably. Um, I was just the type of kid, I was the only child. Mm-hmm. So whatever I liked, I would try it. So 
course, I started watching basketball like second grade, so I started trying to play basketball. Right. Like, whatever sport I saw at school on TV, I tried that. So I was already a pianist. Like my parents had me taking piano lessons, and my dad's a drummer. So I was mm. as a young kid. So I started listening to rap like third grade, fourth grade, and then from that, it was like, all right, if Snoop and I guess I could rap too. So <laughs> back then, like I had a few to rap, but it wasn't like it was. I felt like by the time high school, everybody rapped. But right. back then, as a third, fourth grader, it was like in my class at school, I was the only person who rapped. As one dude a year younger who did. My neighborhood, it was like three or four of us who rapped. So we, mm-hmm. of course, we made it back then. But right, was that and because I had my dad's equipment, I was able to make beats on that. I was able to make beats on his old Roland JV35 and. Cubase with Windows 3.1 on it. So wow, Windows 3.1. <laughs> I couldn't even use samples or anything. It was no, it was no NPC or anything. I nah, man, you put in that real work. Yeah, I had to compose everything. Use the drum, drum sets that were already on there. I couldn't even combine this kick with that snare. It was just wow. It's 808 or it's 909 or it's standard. So yeah, wow. So Start doing that from there, and then I would say. <clears throat> Like 10th, 11th grade, I just kind of transitioned into just doing, doing beats only because with rap, it was where I wasn't, I wasn't a good rapper, but I knew how to rap, if that made sense. Like, nah, yeah, it makes sense. I understand. It was fun, but I couldn't really, like, nobody would want to hear me do a whole song. So, of course, like, <laughs> of course, high school is where everybody's, like, hating on whatever you do. So, I'm playing my music in school, and they, they're like, are you, are you whack? But then they, they kept listening, and they, they'd be like, hey, you whack as a rapper, but your beats is dope. Right. Like, maybe, they, maybe they're not hating. If they was hating, they'll call the beat whack, too. Yeah, this is true. You're right. The people who did rap in high school, they were like, can you make me a beat? So I'm like, let me just keep making beats and see what happens. So I was still writing courses here and there, and mm-hmm. I still had to help somebody else compose a whole song, but I couldn't really rap and deliver it myself. So I just focused on produ- uh, production. And then by the time it was like, oh, up with the game out in Compton because mm-hmm. he was just coming out some homegirl in the cold from high school back to elementary. She knew somebody in the games camp, so I started making beats for the game in Black mm-hmm. Wall Street. When wow, out. that was back in 0405. I did one track he, he had with Glasses Malone called Therapy Sessions. So, yeah, it's like the only one that made it got radio play out here and all. But then from there, it was um, I didn't really have my equipment that much in, in Florida because I was in, I was at FAMU for college, so mm-hmm. I was at FAMU. I didn't have equipment for like three years. I was just making beats when I came back to LA and I would just have to kind of work with that when I got to Florida. But then by 06, 07, we were just having house parties all the time. And mm-hmm. I would just bring my laptop, like my old PC laptop, Windows Media Player and just do a playlist. <laughs> Windows. Off of some fried speakers. And then right. we just have house parties with 30 or 40 people. But of course that gets bigger and bigger. And then some other places started coming and it's like, you gotta play some Florida music. You gotta go to Tampa. You gotta right. play Chicago. You gotta play Orleans. So at first I was just like, look, this this ain't for y'all. It's a West Coast party. I'm not an mm-hmm. actual DJ. I'm just playing for our people. But after a while, people kept on coming, and then I'm like, all right, just to make the girls happy because the girls are from Tampa. They they kind of cute. Let me let me play something for them to stay hyped too. Right. So then it's like, all right, let me just invest in some actual equipment. So all my internship money I had from the summer before, I just took that, bought some turntables, mixer, and then some. You know, microphones, speakers, and that I was, was like, "Let me just start doing some house parties and stuff on campus." And from there, it was it was a wrap. Wow, man! And like, it, it was money well spent, obviously, because when I hear you DJ, the, the one thing that I would say is that the way you transition from eras, different eras, is, is mm-hmm. super dope, and the way you connect everything um, for me, it, it's an experience. And I, I think 
because I, I, I used to DJ and, and for me, the most important thing for a DJ is like sometimes people get into their self and like, oh, I want to play what I want to hear. But it's also playing the things that maybe you don't really like, but you know what moves the crowd, you know, and that's what I love about you. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's all about the crowd. I mean, my first year was rough because like, especially being a producer and former artist is where, I mean, everybody is already biased enough about what they grew up on and what they mm -hmm. like. So me being from LA and being, I was a little bit older when I started DJing compared to the students. Like I was probably 22 versus 18, 19 year old students who were coming in and right. with me having that LA, it wasn't that I had a LA bias in that way. It was just that I didn't like a lot of the new stuff that was coming out for the club. So mm -hmm. I didn't even like Uzi uh, back then. I ain't like Soldier Boy. And like, I love it now, but back then it was like, right. trash. Right. Like, <laughs> put, on some, put on Freeway, put on Snoop, put on, right, right. Put on T.I. But, I was like, this Soldier Boy stuff is trash, but it was right. like, I mean, one part, the girl got mad because I wouldn't play Crank That. Then she got even more mad because I played DPSA. She was right, like, right. I can't dance. And it was just like, well, it's, just, it's better music. So just, just take it. Just, just take it in, right? Just listen to the better music, man, right? Yeah, yeah. It took a while to just learn, okay, it's not about what I want to hear. It's not about what's actually quality music. It's more mm -hmm. about what gets the crowd going and, and kind of integrating both, like, of course, I'm not gonna have a whole party playing nothing but Soldier Boy type right. of music, but then unless it's just a straight all male crowd, I'm not gonna mm -hmm. do all hip hop boom bap either. So, right, it's finding that that unique balance, man. That not, not everybody can um get and, and do, and yeah. it's it's definitely it takes some work and experience and and just learning the crowds, um, and <laughs> stuff like that. So, I think that's dope. And you don't play just one genre of music. I feel like you know also you you know how to to work your way through everything, which is which is dope. And I think it's important as a DJ, obviously. I think it is, yeah. It's like a lot of times, like, it's easy to get kind of caught up in a comfort zone, but it's mm -hmm. like, let me get as much as I can, basically. So whether it's like, now everybody loves Afrobeats, so. Yeah, that's popping. Four, four years ago, I played a couple of songs, but it hadn't really got big, especially not in LA yet. New York, maybe, but LA didn't really get on it until last year, so mm -hmm. now Loves it, and even with that, they only love eight songs. So right, it's right. Like, it's it's true. It's, you know, the, it's the same eight. <laughs> yeah, I play those, and I I try to throw one more in there. All right, it's not working. Let me go somewhere else. But, right, right. And that's 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 it, man. Sometimes it's trial and error. Um, yeah, yeah. And that's what I talked about in my lot the last podcast. Where I had a um, uh, rapper by the name of Kev Turner. We talked about the importance of DJs breaking records. Right. Yeah. I, I think it's your job to break a record. How do you feel about that? I mean, it's still our job, and I think, I ain't gonna say it's harder and harder, but it, mm -hmm. it kind of is because historically back in the 80s, 90s, early 2000s, for one, you had to have a record on vinyl, and then usually a song came, usually they heard it on the radio or TV first, then if not there, it was the club. So it's like right. you could bring a record and then people were excited. It's like you, you hype it up, I got this brand new song. It could be, it could be from whoever it was back then, um, whether it's, it's a, a brand new Lil John song, it could be 90s, it could be a brand new Grand Poop or whoever it was, mm -hmm. and it's like the crowd would respond to it. It feels like a lot of times nowadays, for one, the crowd gets stuff before us. So a lot of times they hear it because it pops on, up on their title. It's a brand new song from Lil Uzi. It's like, yeah. I'm not on my phone that day. Right, right. Like, hey, can you play a new Lil, Lil Uzi? I'm like, when it come out? Today. Today. <laughs> I ain't even had a chance to download no music. I play from right. the phone. I'm like, I can't play it from my phone. Right, it don't work like that, man. <laughs> yeah, but, but even even with that, it's just, it feels like when it comes to breaking stuff, it's definitely important. It's just that it's trickier because 
it's like, even if it's a brand new Drake song or whoever the biggest artist is, people don't respond to it when they first hear it. And it's just right. like, it has to have a certain type of energy, a certain mm -hmm. feel. Like, it's certain songs I can remember. Like the first time I played Rack City back in 2011, mm -hmm. hey, I heard it like that daytime. I was like, oh, I'm gonna try it tonight. Yeah. I tried it like right before 12. Crowd response was just nuts to it, to where people were just like making up dances on the spot. Wow. So I was like, hey, play this song later on. And I'm like, yeah. oh, this is a hit. But that's the best feeling, songs, man. Yeah. On the For flip me, side, five songs, yeah, five songs got big, but the first time I played a lot of songs, like one of the biggest songs for LA this year is from OT Genesis called Bay. I mm. played it back in December. I remember playing it in the crowd. They didn't stop dancing. They're just kind of looking like, okay, I'm what happy enough. Like, it's going to be your favorite song next year. Believe me. They like, whatever. Pretty much <laughs> that's their favorite song out. So it's like, it's kind of a gamble, but it's like, yeah. you got to do it sometimes. As long as you save it. Like, if I know I'm going to play a new song, let me just have something queued up that they do know. So if they don't respond to it, I'm going to drop something for Ready? Me. Right, right after that. Yeah. No, that makes, that makes total sense, man. Um, so you being from LA, um, obviously, what what were like your your influences like hip hop wise? Like who did you gravitate to, especially since you started rapping? Yeah, I would say so. Initially, like the very first two songs that got me into hip hop, it I, it probably ages me to death to somebody who's under our age, but it's Whoop There It Is and who uh, Hip Hop Parade. Ah, uh, hip hop that was like of course '93. So yeah, yeah. Then it was like insane in the membrane, but beyond mm -hmm. that. Uh, those songs, it was basically, of course, um, I didn't get in the quick until like 95 because you know how I was back then, like artists didn't drop every couple of years. So right. quick dropped in 92 and he didn't drop again until 95. So I didn't really hear quick for real until Safe and Sound dropped in 95. So mm. Safe and Sound and Summer Breeze dropped, it was all about quick, but 93. Also like Domino Ghetto Jam. Oh, no, Domino, man. Yeah. That was a big song on the East Coast too, man. That that thing. Yeah, I feel like 93 was the year that the West Coast like had the most presence like nationwide. Like a lot yeah. of people, like even today was a good day it was out that year. Yeah, like, yep. So Ice Cube, of course, like Check Yourself is one of my favorite songs. Mm -hmm. Then 94 was Regulate. When Regulate came out, that was my favorite yeah. song. That was all the West Coast songs. And even beyond the West, like back then, I didn't really know or even care who came from where. So it would be those songs. But then I would also like Tootsie Roll from 69 Boys. I was mm -hmm. like... Without scratch, I'll take her and Ah, yeah, yeah, we taking it back now. Feel it out, scratch. Yeah, yeah. I was like fourth grade, so just that whole era was just like what got me into it. So that's dope, man. That's that's dope. Um, and and you being from the West Coast, man. Um, that that whole East Coast West Coast rivalry, you know, with like with Diddy and and everything else. Like, did you feel the tension out there? Like for me. And I was just trying to think about it, like when we were coming up and that was that was happening. I, I know we had love for the West. There's a lot of cats that had love for the West Coast and what was coming out. But did you feel in in being from um LA, like did you feel that tension over there between the East and the West Coast? I mean, just to be real, um, I was so young, I probably like, I don't think I can answer the question the way that my older homeboys and cousins could. Right, I, right. Like when Pac died, I was 96, I was eleven. So it's like right, right. We kids are just kind of into us on radio and TV, period. Yeah. Kids aren't really into it because, for one, I think the best people to ask, because I'm actually curious about that myself. Right. I think the best people to ask would probably be the ones who are in college because even yeah. in high school, they were fans. But I feel like college, especially if they went to an HBCU where everybody came mm -hmm. from somewhere different, there probably was tension there. Like, especially when Pocket Big died, I could see it. Oh, man. 
on campus because of that. So for me That's being great. that young, I would say it was zero attention at all. I would say on radio, it was where we still play everybody's music. Like we heard Biggie as much as you heard Pac back then. Right. And plus Pac wasn't from LA. Nah. Even though, even though you do. true, you're right, you're right. Pac with the whole East Coast, West Coast. If you think about it for real, Pac was technically from the East Coast. He was, yeah, you're right. He rep the West, and if, and if anything, he's from Oakland and not LA. And at right. the time, LA and Oakland weren't the best of friends, honestly. Wow. People don't realize that. It was where LA probably had the same relationship with New York as it did with Oakland. Really? Even better, because back then, a lot of times, like the Bay kind of saw themselves as, as like the stepbrother who didn't get. Wow. So the Bay had a lot of music that was banging uh, back in 95, 96. They had the Selly Cell, they had the early uh, Three Times Crazy, of course, mm -hmm. all sort. And like LA radio, you only really heard Too Short, You 40. You heard, um, you did hear Drew Down, Mac of the Year. You heard yeah. uh, Spice One. You didn't, really, you, you didn't really hear Spice One on the radio. You heard um, Rapping Fote, Players Club. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, aside from that, it was a lot of stuff from the Bay. So a lot of times there's more tension between the Bay and LA than it was from New York and LA. So when mm -hmm. the whole brief came to me, it's like, even, even with Pac and Big, it's like, I remember the first time I heard hit, hit him up. Woo. It was my cousin Nate. Nate played that for me on the way to Vegas, like in '96, right before Pac got killed. We actually saw Tyson that same weekend. But I remember him playing. Wow. Him, him up. I didn't even know that there was beef until that. So he played it for me because there was no internet. There was no social I media. So <laughs> right, right. I was just like, okay, they got beef. Why? He told me the whole thing. He played it, and I'm just 11 years old. Like, wow, like, right, blown away, right? right? And yeah, even me, me an East Coast guy that that loved Big. I was yeah. like, yo, this track is bananas. <laughs> I was like, yo. And Big yeah. even said it. Big was like, yo, this shit is hot. <laughs> no, I can't, I can't lie. Yeah, it was that type of track. So Yeah, it was. Like, even when Hit Em Up came, like, all, all my friends, everybody who I know, at least who was my age and older cousins was like, wow, pot kill Big. Oh, yeah, Biggie song come up, is on Turn Up. It's like, nobody <laughs> really cared. It was like that people didn't like Big. So even when I saw the, the Notorious movie, I'm guessing Diddy and them was behind that. Like, I didn't like the way they portrayed the East to West Coast people. Mm. West Coast said, no, F, F, East Coast. Right, right, right. West Coast over here. I'm like, LA people are more concerned about their game than about a whole coast. Oh, right. And that's why a lot of people feel it was so media driven. And it, 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 it kind of got these two guys, they got them killed. Because, you know, at the end of the day, the East Coast, like, we were bumping Snoop when Doggy Style dropped. Mm -hmm. uh, we bumped N.W.A. when it came out. Like, I, I can speak from experience and being when those things dropped. We would blast them just not call loud. Like, we were from L.A. Because we buy with anything that's dope. If this shit is dope, then we go, we go bump it. That, that's it. I feel like it was media, and I feel like it was certain artists. I mean, because back then, like, yeah, yeah. people weren't as flavored, but it was a lot of little small shots. So even, no, like, absolutely, you're right. Like, through the damage, it was just say little stuff. And even the... Blase, blase, when the East is in the yeah. house. Like, even like uh, Lauren Hill says something, I know where Jerry Curls because I'm not from the West. Like, yeah, yeah. Or Tim Dog. Tim Dog yeah. right in your face with the first that's, that's joint. Yeah. I yeah. was like, whoa, what, yo, what is this? <laughs> there, was a lot, there was a lot of little shots coming from the artists and I figured the media and then mm -hmm. the labels. But as far as the people in New York, I feel like it was, it was probably a mixture. I feel like, yeah. You down to Philly, like, I feel like, yeah, everybody out there loved the doggy style and, and the Cube yeah. albums. but I doubt they were as big on maybe a second to none or a quick or like even the Bay music, but mm. I don't think there was really any tension like at that nah, level. Nah, I agree. Yeah, I so totally agree. 
LA has always been unbiased. People don't think so, but it's like, it's been just as many like hip hop only spots where it's more East Coast and West Coast music. I mean, it's still, even today, it's easier to find a spot playing 90s East Coast and West Coast. Like, right, right. You hear the main West Coast songs at a mixed club, but as far as you can go to a low end theory type spot where you hear more tribe and gangster than you hear anything that's not yeah. Snoop Q. So, yeah, that, and that's what I want to do. I kind of I want to get out there and experience all that out there, man, and the culture and everything else. And you were saying you you weren't really old enough to to kind of maybe feel the impact of a pop dying, yeah. but you're actually old enough now. Actually, when Nipsey passed, yeah, like, what was that effect for you? Like, because you know, for me, I'm gonna be quite honest. I didn't start really rocking with Nipsey until late. With this last album with Victory Lap, I heard Victory Lap. Mm. I was like, woo, yo, from beginning to end, I love the album and it made me want to hear more. So when he passed, I was like, yo, this, it hit home for me. Because his, his producers, Michael Keys, did the whole album. They actually had me DJ that Grammy party back in uh, February just to like celebrate the fact that he was nominated. So it was just wow. the type thing that Nipsey had one of those, like, uh, I'm not going to say weird followers, but he had a cult following where it's like, so the thing about him when he, when he passed, of course, Everybody is rapping for him. So, of course, that brings the small amount of haters who are like, mm-hmm. yo, I saw his love for him when he was alive. It's like, no, you just didn't know about it. So, it's right. like, he had a very strong presence. Like, he could sell out down anywhere in the whole country. It might not have been um, a, a stadium show. It might not have been at Barclays. But if it was a cool one or 2,000-seater spot, wherever he went, he could sell that out. And it's like, to me, the thing about him, too, is that, of course, with, I would say, the, the three biggest artists for L.A., probably for the West period, but for LA for this decade, of course, I would say Kendrick, and I would mm-hmm. say between YG and Nipsey in different ways, like, right, right. he has the club scene, he has the LA, if you want to call it the ratchet scenes, it's done a lot, but then Nipsey, like, it's funny, because all Nipsey's biggest club songs were all with YG, like, every single one you heard <laughs> in the club play was with, with YG, so last time that I checked, you broke, FTD, um, B-Zang, whatever, you know, it's like, right. those are all with YG, so it's like, um, Basically, like when he passed, it was just one of those things where I didn't know it's gonna have the impact that it did. But it's mm. it's it's where it's crazy. It's like it's just definitely a horrible thing that he died, and he 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 had so much more value to give to the yeah. country to everybody. Period. But in a weird way, it's like his legacy is kind of giving a stronger impact than anybody else alive could give right now. I really That's agree with that, man. It's like because a lot of folks in different cities, you see people who are small time rappers and. Minnesota or uh, wherever in Oklahoma talking about like you got Nipsey's everywhere and now they mm-hmm. try to get that and stuff so nah, it's, it's, it's great yeah I so agree man I think like I don't think anyone imagined except the people that maybe knew him intimately and closely um yeah. the impact his death would have and be honest with like I said for me I had just really gotten to know Nipsey um as far as like music and stuff like that and I was like yo this cat is dope and yeah. I don't know why, to be honest, his death resonated with me more than Pac. And I was old enough to mm. feel Pac's death. And I'm not saying that I didn't like Pac, because I rock Pac's joints all the time. But it just, it felt different. I mean, know? it is compared to Pac, because I mean, I was old enough to impact, but just not to understand everything behind it. But it's right. like, the more I learn about Pac's death, it's like a lot of folks just being all the way blunt, just being all the way like, LA about it, he is like he didn't deserve to die, but he did he shouldn't have been in that position. Like yeah. when he did get killed on some LA gang stuff that he didn't even know what he was dealing with, is where if you see like Glasses Malone had a video that was controversial a couple months ago called mm-hmm. uh, 
uh, what, what was it called? Tupac Must Die. And like his Twitter headline was Tupac Deserved to Die. And he oh, wrapped wow. the song in the perspective of Orlando Anderson. A lot of folks were saying that Glasses was just kind of trying to get attention from it. Right. But me, it's like he's actually making sense like from that perspective of a gang member. Mm -hmm. Gangs operate is, is really awesome. You take, a ch uh, you take my chain, then you get jumped. You jump me. Right. And it's like, it's something that if you're not in a gang, you just wouldn't understand that type of logic. And I mean, of course, it's negative, but for Pac to have been as worth as much as he was, as valuable as he was, I mean, he shouldn't have been anywhere close to so that's, that's, in that situation. Yeah, so, I agree. So the fact that he was actually throwing those kicks in, in the video, the fact that he's actually repping the hood that he didn't grow up repping, he didn't even grow up in that neighborhood and all that, it's like, he shouldn't have been dealing with that versus Nipsey yeah. who got killed in his own neighborhood where he brought something positive that like people still don't believe to this day that it was what, what it was. They all feel like it had to be a setup because it's like, how does he get killed in his own neighborhood? Yeah, man. And I don't believe the conspiracies at all, but it just shows that he was really deep in his own neighborhood at a story he owned, employing his people. Yeah. Right from like the older gangbangers who didn't have much helping them out to the young ones. And it was like a safe haven. Like I used to never go to the intersection after like, I'll go as a kid with, with my uh, aunt who grew up on 60. Uh -huh. It's like they had a quick and split right there. I'll get ice cream. But <laughs> I'm a teenager, it's like, I'm not going nowhere. ain't going nowhere near it. <laughs> I grew up in two hoods that are not 60s hood. And it's like, right, right. And that's fine. That's fine. Same type of crib. So it's like with that, I didn't feel safe going there until Nipsey brought the but when he brought the story, it's like, I'll go there and just feel safe. And it was like, no matter what I had on, it was just like, we good. So seeing him get killed in that position after what he accomplished versus how Pot got killed, mm. kind of makes sense. It's like, Pot is like, you hate the heat because of what he was, because he was still in his, in his prime. Yeah. And Nipsey was on the rise still. Like, at least yeah, he Pac, really was. Pot had so many hits. He had so many collaborations. Like, Pot, if he had retired at that point, you would have been like, okay, well, he, he had a lot that he had proven. Uh, Nip was still on the rise. Like, he just yeah. got like, a Grammy. Like, the Cali video hadn't even dropped yet. Yeah, so, man. Kind of made it a harder pill to swallow because of that, too. I, I, I totally agree. And and in a sense, that the, now that we talk about it, the more I, you and I talk about it, I feel like, in a sense, it reminds me of Biggie because yeah, Biggie only like, had two albums. Like, two yeah. albums. And Life After Death was that album that even transformed him to a megastar. Yeah, that's true. That's, true. that's how I feel with Nipsey. That album, Victory Lab. Yeah, that was mega stardom from the the moment that track hit the first track, yeah. I was tuned in. So I was like, "Ooh, yo, yeah. he's saying he's saying something." And then the production value, the messages, like that album to me, man. Well, that one, like, because I mean, even even when he when he lost to uh, Cardi, like, I was actually I actually low key defended Cardi, only saying that in the eyes of a Grammy voter, I get why she won. Right, because right, right. Album. But Nipsey, like his fan base was, was just like riding so hard saying there's no way you can tell me that Cardi album is better. I'm like, it's not, but it's like, I get it. But at the same time, the fact that Nipsey had folks riding that hard shows that yeah. without any singles, without any like like radio club. No, hit, no, no really radio friendly hit. Nah, you, you're absolutely right. Yeah. It, it took it took on like a life of his own. And it's because it was just dope music, man. Like I, it just grabbed me from the minute I heard it. And I, I, I really love the album. Yeah, that's what I'm sad we ain't getting no more. Yeah, and I, I'm hoping they got some early stuff in the, in the vault. I'm hoping, but I doubt it's anything like Pac just, Pac just knew yeah. I think he had Yeah, but they, they said Pac, he, Pac knew he was going to die. Like, or young. He yeah. always had that premonition. So they said, yeah. like, always recording, always recording. 
So, um, yeah, you, you mentioned like the, the gangs and stuff like that. Um, even though you, you know, you might, you grew up in a better neighborhood, I, I would imagine, but how difficult was it navigating that for you? Like during that era, like, you know, like gang violence and, and, and everything else. I know for me, you know, I, I tell people, well, I grew up in the crack era when people talk about it and I'm like, yo, that was real for me, you know, that experience. So what was that experience like for you? I mean, the thing about LA is that it's, LA is tricky if you're not uh, from here, because basically whenever I bring my friends who are from like the East Coast and the South mm-hmm. to my parents' house uh, off of Crenshaw, Rosecrans and Gardena, they first thing, oh, you grew up in a nice neighborhood. I'm like, <laughs> it's nice, but it's still, I mean, I'll never call it the hood, because it's basically, right, right. LA is tricky. I, even if you watch Friday, I'll say Friday is the most comparable to my neighborhood because it's basically okay. one is only five minutes away. Like Friday was filmed on 126. I grew up on 139. <laughs> right there. So basically it's similar where yeah, it's all like two parent households. Everybody did have a dad and a mom. Usually the dad was more blue collar. The mom probably had a similar type job. Right. It, it wasn't like it was like upper level professionals for the most part. And it was like it was still gangs right there. So it's mm. like it's part of the gang, but there was still a gang presence. So just like on, on Friday, it was like a crib neighborhood, same for me. So it's like, that means that most of us who grew up did not get put on, but the family the neighborhood was my next door neighbor. So it's like, wow. they're right there. So of course, like his sons, both gang bang, and every right. time coming home, you see 20 of them just outside of basically my house just hanging out. So it's like, it was never dangerous right there, but at the same time, it's weird because all of our houses were like the houses right here, right, right behind that. It was the alley, then it was the apartments where it was all Section 8. So mm. they different. So that's where uh, Gang's best friend got killed, like, behind my house back in, um, back in 04, uh, named Billboard. So it was, it was a tricky thing because it's like my neighborhood compared to even Inglewood, it's like it's mm-hmm. so many levels. It's like where I live, I would say certain areas in L.A. were even nicer but still had gangs like a Carson. Carson had gangs that were the same. They're all respected, but it's just the neighborhood was – like visually nice. It's like well manicured uh, lawns and all that. But <laughs> as far as the people who grew up there and what you gotta deal with, it's still the same. So still the same. Man, the main liquor store, King's Liquor. If you go in there and they don't know you, it's yeah, it's still gonna the be problem. yeah. The park right there, Rally Park. It's yeah, that's where the gangbangers hang out. It was dudes who I know who weren't from the gang, but they happened to get caught up there one day, and 15 years later they still part of the gang. So mm. that type deal. So with that. It's like one thing people don't get about LA is that it's not just crip and blood and it's just right. that. It's like crip, 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 all these different types of crip neighborhoods. Wow. Get along with these, but these don't get along with them. They clash with them. These two get along for this week, but next week it's going to be. Next week they don't, right. These two gangs are separated by MLK Boulevard, but this gas station is controlled by them. So if you're on this side and you stop the gas over here, you're in the wrong wow. hood. It's like it gets tricky like that. So yeah, I, yeah, about to say that sound that that sound pretty complicated, man. It's tricky. You're right. And it's like, like I know exactly who you're going to. So even high school, like my mom might might say, "Hey, can you go pick up uh, a turkey from Aunt Lillian over here, and then go pick up a cake from Helen?" And I'm like, "Lillian's and family, Helen's <laughs> and neighborhoods." And it's like that means I can't wear this outfit over here. Wow. But I can't wear it over here. So it's like this little stuff. It's like you have to know exactly what neighborhood was what. And it's like even when you stay away from it, people just assume if you have a certain look. And back then we all looked like right, right. gangbangers. But if you had on the white team, 
Eddie James, you from somewhere to them. Wow. So great question. You just like on the Kendrick skin. Yeah, white from? tees, white tees win. Like everybody's win white tees and yeah. some shorts yeah, exactly. shirts and some some ones or whatever, you know. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it was just the regular uniform. So Yeah, like, yeah, that's what it was, man. Whatever you had on, unless you had on a suit, it's like you could be from somewhere because every <laughs> color means something. It's like this cause it's crypto, I mean it's blue. Like my neighbor. Right, right. Then oh, certain neighbors like that's that's really interesting, man. Like, right. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that that it sounds like I'm gonna have to talk to you before I go to, to LA. Like I would say it's way different now. Like even even with Nipsey dying, LA is a much different place than what it was back then. Like I feel like from the eighties up to like oh four was probably the worst period. Mm-hmm. Oh six it started to chill out and then I mean, to me, the property value was too high for it to be so dangerous right. anyway. I feel like it can be but so, so hood. But overall, I feel it is a lot, lot better than it used to be. So you ain't got to worry about colors no more. And people right, aren't right, really. Right. And when, you, when you're older, like older now, so they're not really coming at you. It's more so when you look like a teen or early 20 right. something. You're gotcha. target. Yeah, Excellent. that's how it was back then. So um, with hip hop, man, just to kind of circle back with that. Um, like how how did it influence you? I mean, obviously, we know you DJ, you, you you raps, but how how did it gravitate to you? And like, what was what was the song that kind of did it for you? I know you you gave me a couple examples of some songs that you like, but was there a song in particular where that like, oh wow, what is this sound? And like, I really want to do this now. Yeah, I would say um, it probably was, um, and then maybe even check yourself from cute. Mm. It was just like. As a kid, I can't explain, like, what set it off, but it was different for me because, yeah. like, I grew up in a house where I was the only child and my parents were a little bit older. So it was where my dad was a jazz musician. So I heard basically all jazz, gospel, mm. a little bit of funk. And then my mom would play, like, you know, Johnny Mathis. Of course, like, the, <laughs> the only R&B-ish music was really, like, Anita Baker. Like, surprisingly, right. I didn't really grow up on R&B in the house. I got R&B just from everybody else I knew and from radio and a lot of R&B I caught up on later. Like my parents didn't really play Motown or anything. Wow. It was where I, yeah, I know what it was, but they were just more so. My dad was straight jazz and like jazz heads, I compare them to like modern day, like from, I would say from our generation, hip hop heads who are boom bap heads. Like, you know, I grew up, the ones who love group home and Mm -hmm. being on the premiere and dealer side, they don't like crunk as much. They don't like, they like certain songs. Kind of same for him being a jazz head because to him, Motown was just too formulaic and basic. It's the same melody. Gotcha. Commercially appealing. So I heard more stuff that was that was more like the Coltrane, the Miles, the um, and if it was gospel, it was kind of a jazzy gospel Ben Tanker type stuff. So mm-hmm. with that hearing pop, it was a whole different sound that was nothing like that. But for, for some reason, it still appealed to me, mm. especially because that's what all my friends were into too so once they started playing stuff i heard it it just kind of caught me somehow yeah and check yourself was a, was a obviously a big record on west and east east coast we were bumping that that's effects on it yeah 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 dope, so. dope record man so um uh what um and i ask this to a lot of people when, when they come on here is like um as far as albums what were like a couple influential hip-hop albums for you like like if you had like maybe three or four that, like you, know, I gotta take these with me no matter where I go. Yeah. Like, what would that look like for you? I would say from um, like my favorite album ever still is Doggy Style. So that yeah. was the first one. Love that album. Probably. 
yeah. So that's still just at that level to me. So, of course, I shouldn't have been listening to it. You know, <laughs> eight, nine, We're not gonna nine. talk about that. So, all right, that was in the back. <laughs> it, it, like, that was it could have corrupted me. Maybe it did, but I mean, it was <laughs> just, even still the production value on there is just nuts. So, right. Oh yeah, I'm man. Say that, I'm wow. gonna say that. I would say probably a lot of the, the the albums from that era I caught up on later because, of course, like Doggy Style, even like it sounds crazy to some people, but like Dub seen a Mad Circle. That was probably the first actual tape I bought that was a hip hop like full album. Mm-hmm. That was like from one artist. I think I had before that. Do I have any actual whole albums? Like, I know I want to get Warren G regulate, but I never got the right. whole album in. But yeah, that was probably the first actual like tape I bought that was a full album. Wow. So that, and then I started getting on the soundtrack. So mm-hmm. I remember buying like, Bad Boy soundtrack in 95, mm-hmm. Professor 96, and those type uh, soundtracks were big back then too. Right. But I would say, as far as albums, if I could just four, I would say Doggy Style. I would say, I would say, um, probably Low End Theory. Mm, that's a good pick. Yeah, I would say probably, probably still Chronic. Like yeah, most chronic, is- chronic is being above Doggy Style, but to me, it's more influential. Doggy Style, but Doggy Style was a better album to me. It's, I mean, it goes either way. Yeah, I yeah, I, I agree. What I liked about Doggy Style was, um how you incorporated like the, the funk, you know, yeah. you hear, like the, the influence, like Parliament Funkadelic um, and stuff like that. I, I think Snoop, the way he, he weaved that like soundtrack and the, his storytelling on it, I think yeah. it doesn't get talked about enough about on that album. It's true. It's true. Like the way he, I could say that lyrically it wasn't, I guess the content wasn't right, amazing, right. but yeah, so we actually did. Yeah, man. Face and those type songs and, then songs like the Shiznit, like he was like legend that he was actually freestyling that whole song. They said that wasn't written. That was his really. Song. I didn't knew that. Yeah, yeah. And that's one of my favorite tracks on that album. Yeah, you can kind of tell because like the way his flow was, it's probably impossible to write it. Oh man, he was killing it. Flow. He just it just sounds so natural. Like he was just going and it's yeah. like at one point he goes past sixteen bars. It's just like it's like he was just going and Dre was just like, all right. Is that that's enough, right? Yeah, <laughs> that type thing. So, so I would say, yeah, so those three albums, and then mm-hmm. uh, what would I say? Like, I would say since the 90s, some for the probably Blueprint, mm-hmm. Blueprint right there. Yeah, that's that's one say. of my favorite out Hove albums. Um, the Hove, um, yeah, um, is a tie for me between Blueprint. And the black album for my favorites um, mm. when it comes to his albums. Reasonable Doubt for for obvious reasons as well. I, I loved it was his first joint, but um, the blueprint was just soulful. Like it was just it's that different feel, man. The whole vibe to it and just yeah, you know, man. It, it, you're right, and that's I think that's the perfect word. Is it was just a different vibe, you know? And yeah. Now I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, the whole thing was was great to me. The crazy thing is. My least favorite songs were more commercial ones. I feel like him <laughs> trying to like the the that dude Jiggy song and then uh-huh. the, the Ace to the Izzo. Like that sounded amazing when I first heard it live. I remember he did Ace to the Izzo live on was it BT Awards or something? Oh, I think yeah, it was the BT Awards. You're right. Yeah. That's the first time he dropped it. It was yeah, and it sounded crazy then, but then here it, it sounded crazy live. According to me now, but I mean the beat's still dope. The verses are still dope, but. 
it was just kind of like, all right, when I hear it now, but the album cuts on there and you don't know and those songs are just oh. like, next level, yeah. Man, you don't know? Oh, man. What, you know if you play that? Go <laughs> the horse, and it's just like, yeah. If you play that or you uh, or if you play um PSA off the black album. The PSA come in, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, it's crazy. The first time I played black album, I was just skimming through it real quick because it was before class. I'm like, let me uh-huh. just hear it. I saw PSA say interlude. I heard somebody talking, all right, I pressed next song. <laughs> I didn't get back to it till like later, but somebody was like, Hey man, that was song. I'm like, the skin. The skin. Like, no, <laughs> I went back to it. I'm like, oh. Oh, oh. oh. <laughs> This is what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. The craziest label is an interlude, so it's like, okay. I'm listening, oh, so. man. Yeah, that, that, that joint was dope, man. Um, yeah. And, you know, as a DJ, right, what is probably one of your most, and you, you've had a few, I, I know, because I, I know your catalog is deep as far as who you DJ for and everything else. And, um, What's one of your, your best parties that you could think of? Like where you left and was just like, damn, that was that was different. Uh it's crazy because it's been so many different ones in different areas. Right, right. For like, I guess 13, 12 years. But I would say like one that still stands out was probably one called School Days that I did. Like we had a party we did for probably six years. It was an mm-hmm. party in LA. I think the one that was major about that one was because of the timing. It was where, it was way back in 2012. So I was still way on the come up. So mm. type thing where like the average person in LA, LA didn't know who I was. I didn't really have a online presence yet. So I was mm. still building up. But people who, who had heard me, like they all rock with me, but it was still like a build up. So my whole crowd in LA, ironically, was an HBCU crowd that got built up. Like with me going to FAMU and then coming back, it's like, LA, LA was already kind of a lot. The DJs right. who LA rocked to in college, that was kind of a lot scene. Hollywood was already locked up. So it took me forever, forever to break, break into that scene. So I was like, all right, y'all got that little good HBCU crowd. So I kind of built that whole thing up. And then we had little beach parties we would do. And then we built a mm-hmm. party called School Days. And we hyped it up a whole lot. We were like, look, we having a party where it's not going to be a Hollywood thing. You can wear an actual t-shirt, which was, we had in most spots so it's like it's no dress code it's gonna be an old school you know college type party right so it was, i'm gonna play everybody's music you know ain't gonna just be la it ain't gonna just be radio music it's gonna be a little bit of everything and then with that party i remember the response is being so crazy to it because it was probably my first time doing i had done clubs in la before i mm-hmm. had done parties it was just the size of it and just the energy there was just so different and then like the facebook i remember the facebook like post for the event like mm-hmm. Facebook posts were bigger back then, like we had events than it is now. But back then, people would comment beforehand, song requests and stuff. It was like 50 comments after the party. Like, that's the best part. <laughs> after the party. LA, that DJ was this, this, and that. And it was just like, that party, it's one of those that the average person would just assume that I would probably mention the Easter party first right. or some Hollywood. But that party was, was when I said, okay, like, I could probably do this. You probably do this, right? Yeah. Working yeah. Work. <laughs> I wasn't even thinking about quitting my job at all back then. It was just like, I was in the come up. So, that's that dope, man. Back then. I wasn't even polished yet. I didn't even talk on the microphone that much yet. I don't even think I said but 10 words the whole night, probably. I was playing songs. <laughs> but you knew, you knew after that party, it was like, yeah. I-, I might be on to something right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that's a that's good feeling. Yeah, so that, that's probably one of the biggest ones. Um, I would say recently, it's been so much stuff that I've 
I've done the last couple of years. No, like, man, you you like, active, man. You are like, saying like that. Not even trying to brag, just trying to think like what's going on. I know you know, and the, the thing is though, I, I need people to understand why I got you on here. I need you to I need you to, to kind of brag a little bit, man. Let people know who you DJ for. Let, let's let's put let's let these people know real quick, man. Because I, mean, I, I know you can name drop, but you haven't yeah. because you're a humble guy. But let them know who we got in the building, man. Stop playing. I mean, I would say I probably forget something too, but I always do all the Easter Rays parties. I did Snoop and Floyd's All-Star Party. I did um what else have I done recently? Like can I go to my Instagram or something real quick? Yeah, hey, man. I'll, I'll name one. I mean, I was watching Insecure, and he was in the background DJing on TV, man. I'm just saying. I, I saw it. You know, I, and I, I'm out of hitting him up, and I say, yo, you were on Insecure. It was that type thing? Yeah, I was yeah, on there. Yeah. <laughs> I was on that. I was on Love & Hip Hop. Love & Hip Hop. Yep, I saw you on that, too. Yeah, man. I'm looking right now on my page. Um, oh, yeah, I do all the homegirl, uh, Lena Waits parties. I do mm -hmm. like I premiere, so it was her and coming. Did third party, I did something for Dame Dash last year. It's, uh, I mean, I the feel list, like so the much goes on and on, man. The list goes like, on and on. Yeah. Like, and yeah. when I tell you, I, I'm not telling you this because I don't, I know him, but I haven't known him for years. So if I rock with somebody as far as a DJ, I'm putting my stamp because it's real, like from beginning to end. And he also puts mixes out. So, you know, if you pay attention to that, um, he's doing his thing there as well. Um, so I got like maybe two two other questions for you then, you know, we'll wrap up. Um, what were your influences DJ-wise? Like, who was, your, who was the people you looked at was like, yo, not that you want to do exactly their set or anything like that, obviously, yeah. but who influenced you in that, that way? I would say, so the thing is, um, the cliche answers are always the same. It's always Jeff, maybe Capri, somebody else, mm -hmm. but it's like, for me, I would say I like taking bits and pieces of everything I hear. So right. I'll put them in there. Like Jeff is my favorite when it comes to this, his overall creativity and scratches and that. Don't get enough credit. Yeah, he doesn't. I mean, he's he does not. I mean, he's the greatest ever, especially on like a technical thing. I did a party with him uh, in, in DR for uh, Memorial Day. So oh. rock with him side by side. And he was actually, it's hilarious that the greatest DJ ever is super humble and his dudes and and other places that are that are arrogant off of just a couple of right. <laughs> I ain't got to say no names, I ain't making nobody famous, but it's no, funny. no, I got you, I got you. You know, and, it's dope. and I, I think that's why he has a certain level of success. I think if you can remain humble while make, getting that success, it opens up the doors for you because people want to work with you. Like it's not like, yo, this dude is an a-hole. I never want to work with him again, you know. So that's dope to hear that. You know, yeah, it, it seems like he's a humble guy. But he definitely because like for me to be. Like even if his folks told him who I was, he was still just super cool. Like, I'm doing the video, just trying to get him in it. And he hop in there, like, what's up? Like, just, just to have fun. Like, just the fact that he's that cool. So him, I did, I did a party with Kate Capri last year, the same party, really. Oh. So he's, he's, one of, he's one of my influences. I would say, even though a lot of folks in my generation aren't huge fans of him the way that the, the 40 and ups are, I would say, mm -hmm. like, he, he's the reason everybody goes fast. And, of course, some folks don't love the super fast speed, but – I would say just the speed. He was doing that before Serato. And if anybody right, right. hard it is to go fast on vinyl, to go two bar mm -hmm. on vinyl, like literally insane. I've seen him do that before. <laughs> like, how do you go one song, two bars, you know, it's right on beat that wow. quick? That makes no kind of sense to me. So it's like, I would say that. And then just his overall talking style, him being able to talk mm -hmm. and record. So 
I'm still say those two are up there. And then along with that, I would say where it gets uh, non-cliche, I would say DJ X from FAMU. So X was like my bigger homie at FAMU who, he was actually from a town called Mariana, which is outside of where my, my mom grew up. Mm-hmm. He was the one at FAMU where, it's probably a, a HBCU thing anyway, but his whole style was basically, he was probably, him and DJ KD both, they're the ones at FAMU who were known for just like, they'll play everybody's music in the same party. And it's like a lot of DJs at FAMU were, Usually more for music because Florida was, of course, 80% of the school, but you went to DJ X and KD party is where they give you that East Coast set, they give you the West, they give you Chicago, right. they give you New Orleans, they give you Texas, each broken down to where you have to know everybody's. So I kind of took that and just ran with that, that kind of formula out here. So I would say them. I would say for LA, DJ Bat, that's mm-hmm. the, uh, the home, doing it for a minute. And with Bat, he's still big in Hollywood. And with him, just his overall style transitions, being able to go quick, being able to kind of tease the crowd with certain songs, but not moving too, too fast. Right, right. I would say, even Mark the Spot, too. Like, Mark the Spot is probably one of his influences. So, Mark the Spot, he's actually from New York, but he's based in L.A. So, okay. I was there with him. Then, for, on the flip side, I don't know what you call it. Um, I guess if you want to say it's like, uh, like sometimes when, like, the your students influence you, too. Because, right. like, DJ Lewis Kid at FAMU, he wasn't even DJing before um, I graduated. He was just like an MC, like hype man type. And I would DJ certain stuff and he just showed up with a microphone. So he he actually bought my speakers before he started DJing. And now he's wow. like in Florida. And with him, it's where his DJing style, of course, is dope. But his mic style, I take stuff that he does now. Because mm. it's like, he's younger than me. But just seeing how he rocks the crowds out there, I've seen him own whole stadiums. And it's just like, okay, like, <laughs> I haven't come to L.A. I'll fly him to LA just to, to host a mic for parties for me wow. like, years ago. That says a lot, man. Yeah. So with that, I was like, I was like, hey, like, you know, homie, I can't get you out here every week. So let me just try to take some of your style and right, right. And, do. <laughs> and that's but dope. Yeah, because so, it, it's, yeah. it shows that you remained humble, right? And it's like you're not above still learning, which yeah. I think is important. Never. There's always something you can learn with it. You gotta adjust. Like every couple months, my style changes. Like anybody who hears me. Every six months or a year, if they haven't heard me in a while, it's like your style kind of changed. Like, right, incorporate genre in there. It might be a little bit more Afrobeat or even SoCal, or it'll be mm. transitions. And now I might beatbox, which I got from Loose Kid and all them in the South. I, I'll beatbox between certain songs and bring in stuff, and I'll take what they do and just do it with different songs and just the way I talk between stuff and the certain stuff I'll say. So it's all about evolving because, like, the crowds change too. Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, crowd. Like the younger the crowd is, they have a very short attention span. So you oh, can't go yes. It's like you play a favorite song, they super hype. You might literally go down just to clean off your knee and you look up and stop dancing. It's like, yo, what just happened here, right? They have a very short attention span. So you guys end the peak of the song real, real, real quick. Right, keep it moving. 40 and up. If you, if you cut, if you cut the crush on you before Lil' Kimber, right. they don't throw by. <laughs> Like, right, and, and that's so crazy because it's true. If you yeah. cut off the wrong song, you do that. If you cut off like something before I let go, before you yeah, get before I let go, go for the break. I heard somebody do that before, and it's just like, what's the point? It's right. like, yeah, exactly. It makes, exactly. It's like it's like you watching the NBA game. Somebody throw up an alley oop. They do a double pump catch, and then go to commercials. Right, go, right. That is the something up right there. Like, yo, why did you yeah. just do that? Right. It's like, yeah. It's all about you can move quick, but people don't realize moving quick. You got catch the right part of the song. Yeah. Even if you only know that one part of the song, you got to get that part. Nice to it, man. You, you absolutely right, man. And there's certain, there's certain parts of the songs that are iconic. And yeah, you just got to get that, man. You may not want to hear it at that point, but let it yeah. rock. 
It's true. It's true. You gotta build up, and if they they might seem a little bit dead, so that part comes up. But you just gotta let, let them take a little breath, yep. breath there, and then as soon as that part comes, it's like, all right, there we go. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, so my last question for you, um, and I ask this at the, the closing question for everybody. Now you don't. The the podcast is called Mean Sixteen. It's because you know we pick. You know what a sixteen is, obviously. So Mean Sixteen means adult bars. So if you had a song that you had to pick. Um, and you don't have to, you know, do the 16 verbatim or anything like that. I just need to know the song that you think had a really dope 16 in it that really spoke to you. And it could be, it could be a song from any era. It could be from today. It could be from years ago. It doesn't matter. Mm, let me think for this. Yeah. Cool 16 is this that stands out. Of course, there's been so many different. I know, I know. See, and this is why I don't, I don't prep people because yeah, I want you to go in that memory bank and really like think about it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, because there's so many that stand out in different ways. Like for in a club sense, this as far as a bar for bar song, I guess it's a 16 technically. Um, like PSA, I would say, like you said, yeah. PSA is probably one of the only verses that people just love to rap the whole 16. You're right. You're right. They rap each, each, each word. So that's definitely one. Juicy, that first verse on Juicy. Yeah. That's probably still the most iconic, just 16, as far as this, like, a meaningful 16. It just kind of shows that rags to riches story. And no, then I would say, true, man, it's true. Man, it still resonates. Say, yeah, I would say just for like a club party type 16, Gin and Juice first verse. Mm. Taste that whole house party and. Yeah, yeah. Till six in the morning, like that. that yeah, yeah. Everybody, everybody rapping to it. It's true. Yeah. I would say that. I would say on just like a reflective type 16 mm -hmm. that like describes a lot of like the the young black male adults perspective. Fonte on um what's what's it called? Um um the one with him Darian Brockington. Um if love is not oh. enough. Um sl slow it down, slow it down, yeah. Right, right, right. On there, just like hearing how he talks about just being like a, a young single man, he says something like I want a girl when I want a girl, and if I don't want a girl, I want a girl who understands that. Right, right. <laughs> that's something that probably every guy has probably felt, but yes, playing is just like that's it's almost scary to to think of it in that way. But, right, right. That is almost like it's in your head. Like you like yo, you speaking for me? Like how did you know that? <laughs> right, right. So before we sign off, yeah, um, a couple things I need you to do, man. I need you to let these people know how they get in touch with you. Give me your Twitter handle. Instagram, whatever you got, um, let, let people know how to get in contact with you. Yep. So Instagram is at DJ underscore R T I S T I C. Twitter, I'm, I'm gonna be back soon. Uh, <laughs> I'll be back real soon at the same thing at DJ underscore R T I S T I C. In the meantime, follow me at DJ R T I S T I C with no underscore. It's you know, basically, I, I can speak on it a little bit. Basically got suspended for posting copyrighted music. You know yeah, man, I'm, I'm so, I'm so through with that, man. Like you, yeah. you post this stuff and most times it's a snippet, right? I'm, I'm posting a it's snippet on. Yeah, it's music. I'm, I'm not, I'm not reselling it. I'm promoting you. I'm, I'm actually helping you. Oh, your music. I'm not like, like the craziest part is that everybody assumes it's for my DJ mixes. It's not for the mixes. The mixes wow. move quick. They don't care about that. They're protected. It's about, I put up a clip, like, one that was the most worthless was, like, it was a song that Todd Allison had with Jeremiah. Mm -hmm. I was just like, oh, they sampled Mid Condition. I put a 20-second clip. 
they got me for that. And there's this really show that came from Tyler and stuff. And to me, it's like, if somebody hears that 20 seconds, they might say, let me go to Tyler and hear the whole exactly. song. Exactly. They're, they're only because of the whole, because of streaming, they want all their, they want you to only listen to it on a streaming service. So yeah. It's all about money. But to me, if it's 20 second snippet, it's like. what? What's what's the point, right? Yeah, what's the point? I'm putting a whole song up for four minutes. So, okay, I get that. But 20 seconds. Right. Nobody's just going to put it, plug in Twitter just to play a song 20 seconds in the car. Like, right, that's, that's not, not happening, right? <laughs> that's not happening. Uh, if anything, I brought attention to that song for you. That is, is exactly right. And that's a lot of times when I hear um, new songs sometimes. Like somebody might post a clip on something. I'm like, yo, when did that even yeah. drop? So then I go yeah. look for it. And then that's just it. So it's, it's it. Man. Yeah. So, so all that. So I'm working with some folks and they, I should be back on there soon. So all I right, say. that's good, man. Um, anything um, you gave everybody how to contact with you, anything that you're doing now, um, whether it be music or um, parties that you want people to know about right now? I would say, so I know, of course, most folks probably not in LA, but I'll be at Family Homecoming the uh, first weekend in October. Um, I know I'll be in New York again in a, in a couple of months. Um, you gotta let me know when you in here, man. Yeah, <laughs> back in New York, yeah. I know, um, of course, if anybody does come to LA, it's always, I'm at the Dime every single Monday. I'm at District 7 every Tuesday. Every weekend is different. Um, the last year and a half, I've traveled a lot. Uh, even out the country, I've been in Nigeria, I've been in France, I've been wow. in Dominican, so, uh, of course, Colombia. So it's like, even people who are out there, I might be out in your city, out there soon. And then um, I'll just say, stay tuned. I post mixes up all the time. Got a couple mixes coming for y'all on my Mixcloud. No more SoundCloud because of, of course, copyright right, issues. Right. So me at uh, Mixcloud, no more SoundCloud. Um, I mean, technically, I still do have some mixes on SoundCloud that Mixcloud won't allow because there's still regulations. You can't have right. more than four songs for one artist on Mixcloud. So wow. all my full artist mixes are on SoundCloud. So this. I'm just trying to make it happen somehow. Just trying to make that happen, and then it's like, um, it's like navigating the LA streets almost, man. Yeah, you back in the day, right? You gotta know, you gotta know the back streets. You, you gotta, gotta know the back streets. Know right. Yeah, <laughs> gotta know what makes it work. Yeah, and uh, man, word. Uh, yeah, I had a, I had a great time interviewing you, man. Um, I appreciate you, man. All day. Yeah, and, and and thank you for taking the time out and, and sitting with me and doing this, man. Because um, I just you know I, I think it's a dope thing to talk hip hop. Um, and I think the DJ is a central part of hip hop um, as far as like breaking beats, putting beats together, rocking the crowd, getting them hyped before the artist comes out. Um, and sometimes we don't give their, you know, our DJs their due. And, and that's why I wanted to get you on here. I appreciate that all day. Don't thank you for having me and having this platform, period. So. Nah, no problem, man. Um, once again, you know, if you do not know this man, please get familiar. Um, you will not be disappointed. Um, even the short mixes I, I had posted on my page the other day, um, just so you guys kind of see what he what he's about. What, when he dropped all the summer '19 um, hits, um, but he does a lot of stuff '90s stuff, all types of things. So go, definitely go check out the page. I appreciate that all day. So have a good one, and I'm gonna stay tuned too. So all right, brother, peace, man. I appreciate you. All good, all good. Have a good one though. All right, you too. Now out. Peace. Ah!